You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello and welcome back to another page turner with Big Dog and Little Stuff. I'm Stephanie Menard. I am Tom Hutchison. And uh, this is our quarantine edition because we're recording this at our respective homes uh, through Zoom. So that's fun. It's been like two months, which is only like four episodes for us, but it's, it's been two months really since we've uh, been able to put a, put a, put this together. I know. Well, you know, the studio uh, that I usually record us out of had to close, you know, well, they didn't have to close. No, that one did. Never mind. They did have to close because it's inside of like a restaurant slash bar. So it's all locked up. I can't get in there, you know? Um, so Dave, who is running our show remotely from his house, we thanks Dave, <laughs> um, was able to set all this up so that we can keep podcasting and not be interrupted so much by what's going on out in the world. So excellent, yay. thank you, Dave. And I get to spend more time in my home bar, so all's good. Right, he's always he's always like a foot away or less from like <laughs> an average. <laughs> In these trying times, it's a good place to be. <laughs> so how have you been, Tom? Uh, I mean, I've been fine, honestly, outside of, I mean, not going to the movies. My life hasn't changed. Um, this is this is the life of the creative anyway, is, uh, you know, you wake up and you eat breakfast and you do some work and you eat some lunch and you do some work and then you take a shower and you do some work and you go to bed and you do some work in the morning. Uh, it's, it's no change for me. I mean, it's literally my daily life has not changed in the slightest outside of just the, the basic, like, eh, I'll go see a movie today or something. Um, and it took me a while to get a 12 pack of toilet paper, but I'm fine. Other than that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were able to find some toilet paper. Congratulations. Yeah, it, it took a couple of weeks before it showed up on the rack and then I, and I was fine anyway. So, you know, it's all good. Now I'm good for another three months. Well, there you go. <laughs> Perfection. And, you know, we don't know how long all this is going to last right now. It's till the end of April. But my thoughts on this is that it's going to be going to go through May. In my Well, it, you know, w- I think what's going to happen is it's going to loosen up towards the end of April, but they're still going to tell you social distance, be careful, be aware. Don't just go back to normal at the end of April. But, uh, you know, May will start to loosen things up. Um, and then June, depending on where you're at, I guess, uh, you know, the, 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 the curve, as they say, might start flattening out and, um, you know, then you'll start to see a little bit more quote unquote normal. But, um, as far as things like comic cons and, and, uh, going to retail stores and things like that, um, you know, big, large events are still going to be shut down, um, but you know, retail might start to creep back into, you know, our daily life. But even then it'll probably be like no more than five people in the store or something like that. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to like being able to go anywhere. I don't like, I don't (laughs) want to go anywhere right now. I mean, I do, but I don't. So like, I'm good with being at home. I mean, I work from home, so I'm used to it, but I always had like appointments to get my nails done. So I was like leaving my house to go, you know, to do things and I can't do any of that. Yeah, you, so you're driving. a busybody. Yeah. 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 You know, I had to like, and right now, I mean, you can see this, but nobody else can. I had to like take my fake nails off. So I have no uh, gel nails anymore, except for oh my, my God. this one won't come off. I had to, I had to do my own roots and I totally fucked it up. Uh, 
So yeah, you know, it's been fun. <laughs> Quarantine life, baby. I know. I'm going to be more bog witchy as this goes on. I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> return to my wild roots. <laughs> but anyway, so we've talked about uh, birds of prey. Like, and it was a few episodes ago, maybe two or three. Yeah. And we had, neither one of us had seen it. And we were just talking about kind of like what our thoughts were on it. And I rented it because I had a credit on Ooh. Amazon. I had a credit on Amazon. <laughs> I didn't even actually pay for it. So, okay. As long as know. it was free, then, then yeah. I can accept it. Yes. I used my free uh, digital <laughs> thing to get it. And so overall, I didn't really like it. I'm going to start with the positive okay. stuff. So the third act in the movie, I really enjoyed. Like the, you know, the big fight scene with, you know, the the good guys and the bad guys. Like that was pretty cool. I thought they did a good job, but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, so the first two acts were really boring and <laughs> stupid. I'm like, so is this only good because the last two acts were not good? <clears throat> Rogue one, <sighs> you know? So I, like, and I don't even want to watch it again to make sure <laughs> to check and see <laughs> if like that's, yeah. you know, really is. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. And, and, and literally, I mean, I said Rogue One jokingly, but that's literally Rogue One. The, the first two thirds of the movie are just pointless, nothing, zero. And then you get that last third where it's all the, uh, uh, the fighting and the crazy Darth Vader scene at the end that, that, you know, all the fanboys went crazy for. And so I think that the movie was saved by its finale. And there are, there are other examples of, of kind of crummy movies that have a good ending. Of course, there's also good movies that have crummy endings, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I will stand by my, my, this isn't birds of prey comment. Um, the Harley part is whatever. I'm not a Harley fan, but, um, the Harley part is whatever, but, uh, it wasn't a birds of prey movie for me visually. So there was no drive for me to go see it. I will probably end up seeing it on Netflix or something at some point. I mean, I always end up seeing all these things, but, um, there's no drive for me to go like, Oh, 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 gotta see it. Yeah, no, I get it. And so, okay, for me, though, like there was, I did think um, uh, Journey uh, played uh, Canary. And she's one of, I've seen her in a lot of things. And she's a really good actress. And I was glad that they picked her to play. that. I didn't know she was in it. And then Mary Elizabeth Winstead played uh, Huntress. And I I like her. I like her. Yeah, she did a really good job. And actually, Huntress is probably my favorite character in the whole movie. I love Margot Robbie, but like I don't like her as Harley Quinn. And I found her highly annoying. The character, not her necessarily as a human. But it's the, the character. character. No, I get it. I'm with you. And I really liked the, I like the character of Harley Quinn in like uh, Batman, the animated series. That is the Harley Quinn. Like I, she is a little over the top and weird and cartoonish. I just don't think it translates well to film like that character at least in my opinion. So, you know, it's not that Margot Robbie can't act. I just don't think it translated well. It was a little ridiculous and annoying. Yeah. yeah. So well, the, Harley's ridiculous and annoying to me, period. I have zero love for the character. So I had no problem with, I saw suicide squad. And so, you know, I thought she's fine. This is Harley. It's fine. But mm-hmm. it was, I wasn't blown away by suicide, blah, 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 suicide squad either. So, you know, yeah, I'm also that jaded old guy who just, you know, wants to see something new 
and I'm not getting anything new at this point. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm just kind of on the outskirts of all this movie stuff. I'm uh, uh, what, here's, what's crazy. We'll take it. We'll, we'll stay in the Batman universe is, uh, uh, all of this Batman stuff that we're seeing the patents and Batman stuff, virtually every single announcement for Batman, when they started casting and, and all this stuff, uh, right through to the, the, the pictures that they're showing, I am so a hundred percent not interested in this movie. Like I am so a thousand percent. I can't find a reason to care about another incarnation of Batman. Um, I, I don't know why anyone cares at this point. I mean, we've, we've done three or four different versions of this guy. Can we do something else? And thank God, Wonder Woman, thank God, Aquaman, thank God, something's happening. But DC even really at this point is, has said, eh, you know, let's go back to Batman because there's no rush on Aquaman two. There's no rush on the flash. There's no rush on anything else they're doing besides let's do Batman again. Uh, and I'm just done with it. I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Peace out y'all. We've had a yeah. fan. Yeah. Have fun with that. But I'm, it does nothing for me. The, the casting choices, the, the visual look. It's, <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, like I, I just get, it's kind of stupid to keep just redoing the same character and trying like, it's, it, it's like they're trying to get it right. And so they keep trying yeah. and trying. And I'm like, I thought Michael Keaton was great. I thought the original movies were great. I yeah. enjoyed them. They were fun. Well, and you're talking about a movie there. That's what 30 years old now or something. So, I mean, I, I understand that over time you kind of have to do a reset, but you had with the first four movies, you had three different Batman. Uh, so right there you had weird, you know, casting issues there. And and then you, you came back with the bail stuff, which was significantly enough time away that you could say, okay, let's do a reboot. Let's do a thing. And right. they did the, they did a, a trilogy there, which, you know, was, I enjoyed mixed, those movies mixed, highly mixed for me, highly mixed. I love the first one. Yeah. Uh, the second <laughs> one I think is overhyped. And the third one I thought was a disaster. But um, then when we went to, to, uh, to Affleck, Affleck was designed to be part of this larger scale universe for the first time. And uh, I was like, all right, well, give me another Batman. Let's see how this one goes. Uh, Cause he's interacting with Superman and wonder woman and doing all that. Um, right. And he was fine. I mean, I don't really have anything against Affleck, but you know, that was what three movies and we're done. And now we're on to another, not even part of this universe anymore. It's just, let's tell another origin ish story and, whatever so i'm just I, dc has lost me completely outside of wonder woman uh I, I there's nothing that i would care to see i feel that i feel that i mean i'm glad that i watched birds of prey because i don't like talking crap about a movie and then not seeing it and actually because sometimes i'm wrong sometimes like the perception that i have of it and you know sometimes it's not accurate you know i watch something and I'm like oh it's actually really good so I was hoping I was wrong, but I wasn't. In my opinion, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and my crap talk on it wasn't a crap talk about the movie. It was basically about the trailer. This is where I came out with with our last segment. It was like, you guys made a crappy trailer and I don't want to see your movie. And yeah. and then all of a sudden it was like, well, you're just a man and you, you're just trying to hold. Women. I'm like, no, you made a crappy trailer and I don't right. want to see your movie. That's it. You, you made a Birds of Prey trailer that doesn't look like Birds of Prey. And I don't want to see your movie. That's it. It may, it may be good. It may be bad. It got very mixed reviews. I've heard a lot of people who loved it and they were kind of the people that would, 
accept alternate versions more and that kind of thing. They, they didn't really know what birds of prey were, so it didn't mean anything to them. But for me, right. it's not Huntress. It's not Black Canary. There's no Batgirl. There's no Oracle. It's not birds of prey. I, I'm just not interested. Sorry. So that was my whole thing. So again, I might watch the movie and enjoy it, or I might be like you where you were kind of cautious anyway, and you still didn't like it. I'm just not rushing out to see it. Yeah. No, I understand that 100%. I just, you know, we're in lockdown. So bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I got I to find stuff to watch. So. I'm, I'm watching uh, last year um, Criterion. Uh, for those that don't know, they're a company that does all kinds of cool Blu-ray stuff with, with lots of extras and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, things that they consider masterpieces for the most part in one way, shape or form, which is weird because they did Armageddon. So somehow Armageddon has been elevated through Criterion, but that's okay. Um, but they put out a huge Godzilla box set last year um, with with all of the original 60s and 70s stuff on Blu-ray, um, in many cases for the first time, and, and all kinds of extras. So I've just been kind of tinkering through that. And uh, last uh, a couple nights ago, I was watching the last of the series. It's called Terror of Mechagodzilla. And um, as I was watching it, I, I realized that what I was watching was the actual full 100% uh, uh, Japanese cut complete with the boob scene at the end. And I was like, no way. So, you know, shout out to criterion uh, for, for going all the way in and, and even including those crazy, crazy scenes that no one has ever seen before um, outside of uh, the Japan market from back in the day. So it's been, that's been my, my fun thing for me is uh, just kind of bouncing through the collection. Cause I'm not, I mean, I stream of course, but um, I'm a very physical media guy. So I have a huge, blu-ray collection that i'm just kind of walking my way through and in fact i did watch batman begins not long ago which i still i think it still holds up i think that it does too in my opinion <laughs> again my opinion i gotta keep always stress that in my opinion in my opinion <laughs> that should be your opinion and i'm gonna make it your opinion right yeah <laughs> <laughs> The more, the more we say it, Steph, the more everyone will agree with us. I know. Um, okay, so we're going to shift a little bit. We're going to move on to some uh, comic book chit-chat, some industry chit-chat. Uh, anybody who follows you on Facebook knows that, A, you're very opinionated. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Never had an opinion in my life. <laughs> um, well, and two, they will know that, you know, you've always advocated for working directly with comic book stores to like get your products uh, in stores and, and, and directly to customers as well. Right. Oh, well, definitely. I mean, that that's not even a question. You've you've always been really good with, you know, getting, you know, connecting with people and, and doing things directly with your fans. So that's sure. been really cool. Um, but now more than ever with, you know, you know, we did discuss, you know, Diamond kind of is not in the picture right now. So we're having, you know, we're seeing a lot of comic book publishing companies or people that run them or people that are self-publishing or, you know, whatever that used to go through diamond now going, what do I do now? How do I move forward? And you have been working directly with comic store owners, like the people that own them and getting them products. Sure. And so I wanted you to, I guess, share that with um, our listeners so that people that might be in the same predicament, um, you know, maybe they can learn how to uh, add that to their roster of good business. Yeah, this might be a two hour show today. Um, 
<laughs> this, this is a lot going on here. So quick recap. I started Big Dog Inc. in 2010. We ran the company ourselves through Diamond and Cons and so on for four years. Uh, we then were moved over to Aspen Comics, published under their umbrella for three years, again, through Diamond and so on and so on. Um, and then when uh, when we broke out of Aspen, which will be uh, three and a half years ago, roughly, um, I had to make a decision as to what I was going to do with Big Dog Inc. and how I was going to bring these comics back to market. Um, the first, obviously, is just, well, let's go back into Diamond and, and back into stores and back in the previews and so on and so on. But at that point, that was year seven-ish for Big Dog Inc. And at that point, the market had just changed so much. Um, not not hyper dramatically like it had from the previous 10 years. Um, but you could see the market for independence, creator own small press, whatever you want to call it, uh, dwindling in the eyes of, of retail stores. Um, and, and even at the same time, dwindling in the comic book convention area as well, because the cons had shifted as well. The cons had become mostly, Hey, we've got walking dead dudes signing pictures and we've got, uh, you know, Chris Evans, if you want to spend $400 on his, you know, meet and greet or whatever. So the cons had shifted and the con, uh, attitude and mentality of, um, let's go see what's new and what, what we can find it was changed to let's go stand in line for four hours and do nothing and then spend $400 on a picture and then go home. And that was, that's the cons. Um, so the cons shifted, the retail uh, landscape shifted, but what never really changed was the direct customer's desire for, at least in our case, for our books. Uh, they kept asking, dude, when are you coming back? What, when's Penny for Your Soul coming back? When's Oz coming back? When's Critter coming back? And I was like, well, I have to figure out how to do this. And so we decided instead of going into Diamond and back into retail stores, we decided to just relaunch ourselves through Kickstarter. Um, we had done a couple previous, but they were new titles. People didn't know what they were and, and they were successful, but um, they weren't like crazy successful. So we decided to go ahead and relaunch with Penny for Your Soul, which is what we started with to begin with on Kickstarter. And it was super successful. It did really well. And I was like, okay, this is going to be how we're going to sort of reimagine Big Dog Inc. Uh, as opposed to me, to Diamond, to a retailer, to a fan, it's going to be me to a fan. And that's it. Uh, and there's really almost no reason to do it any other way. Now, of course, remember, we had seven years of building a fan base. So this isn't something that someone can just step out of their house with their first issue and suddenly be poof, you know, hey, I'm doing 20,000 on Kickstarter. Can it happen? Sure. But it's unlikely. We we succeeded because we had seven years of fan building. Um, from there, uh, I went back and started working with um, Jesse James Comics out in Arizona. A uh, big retailer out there who had been a supporter of ours for many years, supporter of indie comics in general for many years. Uh, I mean, this guy did things like you would never believe. There's stores out there that'll be like, I can't sell more than 10 copies of this indie book. Jesse will sell 900 of them. Um, why? Because he supports indies uh, in general. Number two, because he gets involved with them. I remember when Paper Girls came out, the uh, the Brian Vaughn book, Paper I Girls came out. I love Paper Girls. He bought a thousand copies of Paper Girls, laid, laid them all out on a big old table. So it was just this yellow table 
you know, if you guys remember the first cover was yellow and yeah. he was taking pictures with like a, a, a paper, a paper boy, you know, sash that they would run around and deliver papers. He was taking pictures, waving this stuff around. I mean, he got behind everything. He told his customers, you should buy this. And I'm like, I watch other retail stores and I'm like, you buy 10 copies and put it on the shelf and then sit behind the counter and watch Dr. Who. That's your, that's how you sell comics. And that's not how you sell comics. And that was the part that was frustrating me. Now, obviously Jesse is an exception to the rule. Not every store does that. Some stores do it differently, but there are still stores that sell independent comics in large quantities. And so whenever I talk to a store and I'm like, you know, uh, you know, you could buy like five copies, put it on the shelf. They're like, dude, I can't even sell two. We buy one of these because somebody asks for it in the store. And I'm like, well, then buy two and put the other one on the shelf. Because if you've got one, you've probably got someone else who will buy the other one. Um, but they just don't want to hear any of that. And I, I got really, really frustrated with the, the retail market. Now, there's a lot of stores that we deal direct with. And we've been doing that for the past number of years, too. There is no diamond anything. It's just, hey, dude, uh, we have a new penny for your soul. How many do you want? 15. Great. Here they come out the door to you wholesale, throw them on the shelf. Um, done. We'll let you know when the next issue's out. And um, they sell them. They sell the trades. They, uh, some of them sell the variants depending on, on markets. Obviously variants are a different type of, of uh, selling market. Um, so we deal direct with a whole bunch. And, and during this Corona time, we've been sending care packages out to retail stores just free on my dime. Here's like two or $300 worth of books go sell them, do whatever you want with them, give them away, sell them for a dollar. It's my dime. I even paid for the shipping. And, um, yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, we've got a pretty good response from the people that got them. Um, but even in that case and not to shame anybody, even in that situation, we really only got a couple of thank yous of like, Hey, thanks for this. This was great. You shipped it priority. We appreciate it. It's going out. So even the 40 or so stores that got them, you got maybe, I don't know, 25%, 25%, you know, thanks. <laughs> right. So the retail side is difficult for these guys and I get it. Trust me. I did retail long before I did uh, comic book creating. Uh, I've been running, managing, owning stores for, for decades. And uh, so I get it. But I also know by traveling around the country and visiting all these stores, which I did when we were starting up that retail isn't done right in comic book stores for the most part. But again, you're talking about 2000 stores, you know, there, there's a lot that, that are just kind of open to be open. And there's a a bunch that try and do it, you know, maximum J in Vegas has three stores and they, they pound it out out there. Alternate reality in Vegas is another great store that, that has indies and and so on. Um, If you guys are in Vegas, go to alternate reality. Oh my God, you will love it. Um, So there's great, great stores. And then there's the majority that are just kind of winging it. And uh, those are the guys that are going to be struggling right now. Yeah. And well, and you know, it's been hard too, because the comic book shops, they're either closed and only yeah. selling online or like for a while, uh, comics and more here in uh, Madison Heights, they were doing curbside. So you could yep. like call in your order and Chris would, Chris Brown, the owner would, you know, bring your stuff to you. So you didn't even have to get out of your car, which I thought was really cool. And it was, yeah. you know, trying to to facilitate sales, but also, you know, being doing right by the customers too. And I thought that was really cool. And there are, you're right. There are comic shops that, you know, put in the effort and, you know, that extra, you know, attention or whatever so that they can sell indies. And then, but most of them aren't like that. And, you know, that's, 
Diamond has been the tool that a lot of people have used as, well, A, just to get books in shops, period. And then also as kind of like a status thing. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, my books are in Diamond. Okay. Which means nothing. Well, again, that's what Spoiler I Spoiler alert. It means nothing. It just means that somebody could order it if they wanted to. It doesn't mean they're going to. Right. And so that when I first started, that was a goal for me was to get into Diamond because I thought, okay, well, if I'm if I'm doing well enough and I'm with the publisher and I get the Diamond, then it'll be you know easier for me to get more people to read my stuff because I can say, order it from your comic shop with this code, blah yes. blah blah. Which yes. I mean, that's a great tool, but. Yes. Um, I like, you know, working more directly with people and that's kind of how I've been doing it as well. Not on the level that you are, but definitely like, you know, you're up here. I'm a I'm, I'm probably down here. But yeah. But then when you look at where I am with the rest of the industry, I'm still down there with you too. We're all at the bottom, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you're, you're, you're not talking to two people here. You're not listening to two people here on this, this podcast who are, you know, buying yachts from, from selling their comics. Um, but you know, we are finding our way to be successful and, and, and make some aspect of profit to help pay our bills and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, diamond, diamond doesn't, and I, I, this is another frustrating thing. I talk to creators all the time. They're like, Oh yeah, man, I can't wait till I can get my book in diamond. I'm like, why, how many units do you think you're selling? And, and how much money do you think you're making from those units? Because if you're selling it for $4 a book, you might be getting $2 a book. You're going to sell 10,000 units. No. I mean, even, even in the old days, there used to be a thing called the diamond top 300. And it was basically a, a charting of the top 300 uh, books sold at wholesale. Let me say that again, sold at wholesale, not actual sales in retail stores, sold mm-hmm. at wholesale. This is something that people miss in a, lo- a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, it was the time in top 300. Over the past few years, the Diamond Top 300 just became dominated for the most part by Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, and so on. So in order to actually get some of these other companies uh, uh, some traction, I don't know, it was expanded to the Diamond Top 500. And in the Diamond Top 500, now you're seeing companies like uh, Scout Comics, Vault, uh, source point press, uh, I don't know, big dog Inc would be in there if we were in diamond, that kind of thing. But you had to go down to the top 500 to find those companies because the units that those companies sell through diamond are so small. Um, now it's, it never hurts to sell a couple thousand units, but you have to almost treat that as a marketing expense because there's no profit for you to have there. So the, the mentality of what diamond is has to change, uh, from a, at least from a small press, independent creator owned, person trying to get into diamond because you're never going to sell more than maybe 3000 units. And, uh, you know, basically just do the math and, and you'll see how difficult it is to, to make that work. Um, so diamond is, is, should never be your goal per se. It should just be part of your plan and your plan should be diamond and cons and whatever else you want it to be. But it should also include what is happening right now. And what I've been doing for the past year, almost year and a half, uh, plus in some other methods, uh, which is direct selling. That is your website uh, online. And that is turning your camera on and saying, hey, fan base, we've got some comics for you. Who wants to buy some comics? Um, and two years ago, three years ago, I guess for Jesse, he started this thing called the Comic Book Shopping Network. And we've talked a little bit about this on the show here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is basically a group of uh, about 20 odd retailers, a couple of publishers, myself, Coffin Comics. Um, and every single day, almost perpetually from about 10 in the morning till two, three in the morning, somebody's on there selling comics and it rotates through all the different, uh, publishers and, and, and retailers. I only do one show a week. I do it Wednesday nights. So it'll be tonight, uh, 10 Eastern time. And, um, we do two hours and we have a great group of people that come in all the time, talk comics, talk big dog. They get, uh, you know, sort of behind the scenes access to what we're doing as far as revealing new characters and, you know, our Kickstarters and stuff. Um, and, uh, and it's been, it's been huge. I mean, it's just been tremendous. And it's not just for me, it's for all the retailers too. During this Corona thing, this has shown, I mean, and again, I've been telling artists, specifically artists for the last year and a half, dude, you've got to stop relying on these cons. You can't be paying $400 for a table, $400 for your travel, $400 for your hotel or whatever it is and chasing money. Now, if, if cons are giving you comp tables and stuff, awesome. You know, if you're getting some sort of kickback, that's that you know obviously that's a different thing we do shows when people give us booths we're like yeah dude we'll take care of the travel if the booth is free we'll do the rest that's great um but so often all these shows are just like you know pay us money pay us money pay us money pay us money and then you're just chasing the money so even the cons have become sort of like diamond where it's more of a marketing tool than it is a way to actually make money whereas if you turn your phone on and you connect directly with your fan base and you say, hey, here's uh, Princesses versus Zombies number one and it's 10 bucks and whoever wants one, call it out. All of the people that are watching don't have to spend $400 on travel tickets, $400 on uh, uh, hotel, $50 to get into the show, $50 to eat some food for the day. You know, the yeah. money that they have is in their pocket and and they can then have more money for you as well. So you're basically turning on your phone. And you're becoming a Comic-Con whenever you want. Now, obviously, the, the the one missing element is the personal element because we can't shake hands. We can't sign. I mean, we can sign books, of course. But um, in the day of, of grading and all that kind of stuff, it kind of throws a little bit of a, a, a monkey wrench in that side of it. But that's a very small part of, of the experience um, that, uh, you know, do five or six shows a year and, and make them big, grand things. Uh, but in the meantime you have the ability to sell and connect. Let me say that again, connect (laughs) with your audience. Anytime you want make a post, tell them I'm going to be live in 10 minutes. We're going to do a Q and a, ask me anything live, draw, uh, do a sale, whatever you want. You are your own comic con. And during this coronavirus thing, you can, you literally within the course of about three weeks, you watched, uh, uh, Zenoscope. Um, God, I'm now, now, now I'm not going to be able to do this. Uh, but all Zenoscope, all kinds of artists, publishers, um, all of a sudden they were like, oh yeah, we have to like sell our stuff, especially when Emerald City went down because everybody had Emerald City exclusives. That was the big one, yeah. yeah. And so all of a sudden everybody was online going, hey, here's our Emerald City Comic Con exclusives. Let's sell them to you guys, even though we weren't at the show. Guess what? They sold the books without being at the show. So again, I'm not discounting shows. They have value. Um, they have value even beyond just the, the booth part, because there's, there's the mingling, there's the, just the, uh, 
the networking. The, the networking. That's what I'm looking for. The networking yeah. part. So there's definitely value. I'm not saying ditch shows. I'm not saying they all suck. There's value to them. But from a just from a creator standpoint, from a low end creator standpoint, you are never more than one minute away from your fan base with your phone and the way that technology works right now. And if you decide you want to do something and say, hi, again, you don't have to do a show every time. Just wake up and say, Hey, uh, I want to tell you what I'm doing today. I'm going to be drawing this uh, lady mechanica cover for, you know, El Joe Benitez today. And people go, Oh, cool. That's awesome. You know, that's the connection. That's the con connection, even though it's not a, you know, two feet away connection. It's the same thing. Right. And I mean, right now we're seeing a lot of people doing, like what we're doing right now using zoom, uh, but like doing like group chats where they're putting them on Facebook. So people sure. can watch like these basically virtual um, panels and yep. uh, the, people are, are getting really creative. And the last show that we did, I know we, we talked about, you know, doing marketing online and selling directly to, um, you know, selling directly to people through, through Facebook and, and yep. other tools. Uh, but yeah, right now, I mean, a lot of people are utilizing this, even people that don't necessarily like aren't really trying to sell anything just because they're bored. Right. And they're like, Hey, I'm going to go on and I'm going to draw, you know, a sketch cover of, you know, whatever there there's that. Um, everybody's doing that, like pick six yep. uh, characters or whatever for a quick sketch, which I thought was really cool. So yep. it's a way to engage with people that, like your work without even necessarily selling, but you're still connecting with them. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. people love that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been watching some live drawing. I mean, I can't sit there for a full hour and watch it, but I'll like watch for a few minutes and say, Hey, and check in and see how, you know, what's going on. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, because I'm a writer, I, I don't, nobody wants to watch me live. I know. Me. Right. You and I have to figure out how to like live, write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. I can like come on and be like, Hey, here's my face. You know, I can tell you about what I'm doing, but all the little, nobody cares, nobody cares. But, um, you know, so I'm trying to support like my artist friends and my, you know, by logging in and checking out what they're all doing because, you know, it's tough times out there, but I think that people are starting to adapt I think yeah. it's taken a little while. Um, you know, this has been going on now for about a month. Yeah. And so I think people are finally kind of getting into like the shift that's happened. Um, yeah. I'm telling you now, there is no normal that's going to return. I'm telling you oh, this yeah. right now. Normal that, that you knew is not coming back, at least not to the level that it was. When we come out of this, people are going to realize, wait a minute, why am I spending $2,000 to go to this con when I made $2,000 the last time I made an online sale and it didn't cost me any money to get there or do anything. Like it's all changing. Um, how dramatic it's going to change. Well, you know, we have to wait and see, but one of the things like that six challenge thing that you were talking about, mm -hmm. um, this brings me back to something else I've been telling artists because this is your opportunity. You have a huge captive audience right now. Every time I'm watching these guys draw, I'm just seeing the same thing. Oh my God. There's another Batman. There's another Wonder Woman. There's another Harley Quinn. There's another, 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 another. Holy God. Is this boring? Now, granted, I get it that people are paying you to do it. Hey, draw me Wonder Woman. I'll give you 50 bucks. Done. I get it. Do it, man. Draw that Wonder Woman for them. But what I'm telling these artists 
is in the middle of these things, as you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm drawing this Wonder Woman commission for somebody. Oh, yeah. But by the way, here's something that I'm working on for me. And it's my own character and it's my own story. And, and she's this and she's that and she does this and she does that. Intermix this stuff with your own creations because you have people watching you now who are going to go, dude, what is that? Tell me more about that. And, and when you come out of this on the other end, not only will you have done made your Wonder Woman money, but you will have people asking, dude, what about that thing you showed me? What about that character you showed me? What about that story you were talking about? Um, is that happening? You have the ability to build yourself right now while everybody's watching. Uh, and the longer you sit there and draw someone else's characters, the less time you're generating for yourself to build yourself into whatever's next. You're, you know, Todd McFarlane just made a million dollars in three days on his spawn toy. Mm -hmm. You are not ever going to get a million dollars on your toy unless you have a character of your own because you can draw wonder woman all day long, but DC's making that wonder woman money. You're not, <laughs> but if you can make something to throw on Kickstarter that, that 10,000 people are like, damn, that's cool. You can make your million dollars, but only when it's yours, not when it's somebody else's. So we've kind of deviated out of the whole selling thing and into creating, but it all goes together right now. Create, create, create show, 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 but while you're doing all of this stuff to, to pay your bills and you've drawn Batman for the 800th time in March, <laughs> throw a few pictures of your own stuff in there and, and, uh, and talk to you, the people that are watching you draw Batman. Yeah, I'm drawing Batman, but you know, I had this idea for a dude who was like an Amish guy and he's like an Amish superhero, whatever. I don't care what it is. Just talk I'm about it. Superhero. Amish superhero, right? I like um, it. Trademark Tom Hutchinson. Um, Damn it. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, but you know, it's while you're, butter and, yeah, uh, you know, that's how he gets super strong. It's yeah, that, it's the butter churn. Yeah. <laughs> um, so while you're drawing Batman, talk about what you're doing. Talk about, yeah, when I'm done with this Batman, I'm going to draw something else. I'm going to work on this design. I'm going to work on this story, whatever. Tell your fans that you're doing something of your own and you can level yourself up out of this. Um, you know, when we're, when we're back to quote unquote normal. Right. And, you know, we don't know exactly what it's, what it's all going to look like. I mean, I think a lot of things are going to be different. Um, yeah. You know, this is kind of an unprecedented time. There's a lot of, there, there's just a lot going on and we're, we're kind of seeing shifts in a lot of things. And, um, you know, hopefully we go back to some, some of balance of normal or semblance, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out. And yeah. um, I think the point is, is that you need to put yourself in a position to take care of yourself first. Yeah. Um, and if everything that you do relies on somebody else, whether it's retail store, you know, diamond, whether it's just comic cons, now you can see how things can go South in a hurry. Now, obviously this is an extreme thing that's happened right um, of course right. but uh you know cons have just died out in the past too they've just disappeared um you know costs on cons have increased and increased and increased um so there, there's all kinds of things that can throw off what you're doing when you're relying on somebody else but if you're just relying on yourself if you're just coming in and saying i'm going to make this thing uh we're going to take it to market on our own 
um, whether it's Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever you want to do, um, you have more control. The more control that you can have over what you're doing and producing and putting out on the market, uh, the better off you'll be in the end. Again, I'm not discounting comic book stores. I know tons of comic book store owners. Um, I love them. They love me. I love going to stores. We have a local one in town. It's a very tiny one, but I, I like going to it. Um, I'm not discounting cons, but you can't put your eggs in. Don't even, put all even, the eggs in one basket. Not even two baskets. Maybe like maybe 12 baskets. Yes. At least 10 <laughs> baskets. At least 10 baskets. Well, I mean, and here's something else to keep in mind with the whole Comic Con thing. I mean, let's be real. The vast majority of Comic Cons are no longer about comics. They're about the pop culture factor. And we, we were talking about yep. that already. And so, you know, it's it's not only how how soon are you going to get 70,000 people crammed into a big warehouse, it's how soon are those celebs going to want to cram back into a big warehouse with 70,000 people and put their arm around people and take photos and selfies and all that stuff. And if that's the big draw, mm. that's a fair point. That That's actually something I hadn't really considered. Yeah. I mean, because we, we tease about, you know, Chris Evans in his $400 photo shoots, but um it's a real thing that people mm-hmm. drop money on. And uh, if those guys aren't there, the draw has to come back to something, which hopefully will be comic book people again. But again, this goes back to something that I've been talking about is uh, uh, if, if, and this is why I kind of dropped out of cons in a lot of cases. If you're at every show and you're paying for the booth at every show and you're paying for everything at every show, you have no value to the show because they're just accepting your, your check. Um, but if you suddenly say, well, I can't do your show unless you give me a booth, uh, or an artist alley table or something, then they have to decide if you're worth it. And that's when you start to discover your real value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. No, we had, I mean, from our perspective, we had that talk with quite a few cons, uh, over the course of this past year where, I mean, I think three years ago we did got close to 40. Um, and then, you know, two years ago we were down to about 20 last year, we did about 12 to 14. Um, and it's just, it's look, it's, there's no ROI here for us to do this. You know, if you want us there, let's talk about that. Um, and a few do, and that's great. Um, but I mean, even, even some of those we passed on cause okay, it's not just a financial ROI. It's a time ROI. Like, is it worth it for me to sit there for two or three days when I could be doing other stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So I like what you were saying, Tom, about, you know, making sure that you are taken care of. I think that we need that is like the perfect way to sum it up. We need to stop de- like depending on other outside forces to, you know, basically to take to get our money, to, yeah. to be able to sell our product, to be able to. Um, you know, get your product out there to people. It really should be on our shoulders. Even if you're with a bigger publisher, you can't just expect them to sell your book for you. You should be selling your book. Yeah, there's there. The, the, the publishing thing is another part of this. Where people are like, oh, I'm trying to get myself picked up by a publisher, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why? What's the publisher going to do for you outside of putting their logo on their book? Most of the time, they're not going to do anything. Now, there's value in the logo. Like if you put that little image eye on your book, there's value in that. Certainly, you know, if you get the Dark Horse logo, there's value in that. But in the end, you still have to sell your book. 
Um, there is strength in numbers. Like if you, if you're in a group of people and they're all selling and they're all talking about the company and they're all talking about each other, there's strength in numbers for sure. That is a hundred percent real thing, but there's also strength in personality, which is you. And if you can become the face of your product, you don't need anybody else to be the face of your product. Right. Absolutely. I agree. And, um, you know, like I said, my books got picked up by rocketing studios and that's yep. it, they're exactly like what you were saying. It's a group of people that go hard to sell their stuff, but yep. they're wanting to take it to the next level. So they're picking up other creators that do the same thing yep. and that they're picking up product that they, a, they like the product, but B, you know, they're, they're not just picking them up to pick them up. They're investing in the people too. I mean, they're sure. creator owned. I obviously still own all my product, but by us all coming together, it adds value. I feel, yeah. you know, it's not just a logo for me. I feel like there's a value in working with these people and, you know, us working together as a unit. I am proud of their work. They're proud of my work. And all we're going to do is just lift each other up to that, you know, that next level. So it's a win-win for me. Yeah. yeah. They, they recognized, you know, they, they saw you had a cool product. They recognized that you were a cool person and uh, you are one of the active people, you know, you're talking about your books, you're doing Kickstarters, your, you know, your, your personality. And, um, Woo-hoo! you know, for, for me, that was really hard because when I started, I was not a personality. I didn't want to be a personality. Uh, I wasn't sure I had personality. And, you know, I'm not a salesman or, you know, I had to learn all that stuff and it was like forced on me. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to do this. Well, you either learn how to do it or you don't get to do it anymore. And so, you know, I had to, I had to just buck up and be like, okay, I, I, I got to do this thing because really, uh, the, the get off my lawn was my personality for a long time. Um, (laughs) and it still kind of is, but you know, people get it now. I I think early on they, they looked at me as I was just sort of like this, Oh, he's just hating on stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I will always give you a reason why you need to get off my lawn. You know, um, and it's not just because you're stepping on the grass, right? It's so, not like a universal blanket <laughs> statement to everyone. Right. There's reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think people get it now, and it's become kind of a little bit of a shtick. Um, but uh, you know, I just I just take it and I run with it, and, and people kind of get me now because I've especially now that I've been on video for so many times. I mean, I, I did last year. We did 35 live shows, sales shows, and that doesn't include anything that we did from cons or or just you know general jump ons or, or Kickstarter videos or anything. So people have kind of figured out, yeah, Tom's all right. He's, he's grumpy sometimes, but he's all right. Uh, and, and we just have fun with it now. And that's, and that's how it should be. If it's not yeah. fun, you're not enjoying it, then why do it? Yes. Especially with comics. There's no point if you're not, if you don't like it. And I know we've said that a million times on this show, but it's always true. So if you find yourself uh, getting burnt out, then maybe, you know, move on to something else. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> You're swimming in the wrong pond, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do you have anything else? Oh, you know what? I, while I'm thinking about it, um, tomorrow, uh, which is Thursday, the 16th, I think we're, we're going to go with Thursday, the 16th. Cause I think yes. that's right. Um, I'm going to be on chat and draw with uh, Michael Watson. Um, so he is going to be drawing, uh, one of my characters from Aeonian and I'll be talking about my character and, uh, 
you know, he's going to draw it. I'm going to talk. It's going to be really cool. So that'll be at three 15 on Facebook. I'll share it on my Facebook. And, uh, if anybody's interested. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, on Saturday, the 18th, uh, Kickstarter princesses versus zombies. Number one will launch for us. So we have, uh, we have Kickstarter running, um, all kinds of great covers, all kinds of just crazy story zombies and, uh, uh, Halloween style princesses, uh, running around biting fingers, lopping heads off. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a good time. So April 18th and it'll run for a month. So you don't have to be there on day one, but you should be there on day one. <laughs> Cause that's, that's the cool, that's when the cool kids do it is on day one. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll be doing it for a month and, uh, we'll have, we'll have a bunch of covers, uh, really great artists and, uh, we'll have some surprises along the way as well. Uh, so yeah, princesses versus zombies. And then we're going to be probably maybe changing our schedule actually this year for, uh, for some of our Kickstarters. So for those that, uh, uh, are listening, be sure you, you move over to Twitter and Instagram with BDI comics or find big dog Inc with a K on, uh, Facebook, um, because we'll be, we'll be talking about what we're doing the rest of the year, uh, as well, you know, as you do on social media. Yep. That's what it's there for. (laughs) Social being social. Correct. All right. Well, we will be back in two weeks with more stuffs. What is two weeks? Two weeks is, uh, the 29th. Okay. April 29th. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll go back to our Tuesday. Day. Oh, Tuesday, 29th. Yeah, 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 29th. Yeah, sorry. I had a headache yesterday, and I just, yeah, it was not good. <laughs> yeah, we'll see uh, We'll see how close we are to, uh, well, because supposedly in Michigan, the 30th is our end of end of lockdown time. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that stays true or not, and uh, we'll let you know if you can start to meander out if the comic book stores will be open yet, all that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, but at minimum guys jump on Facebook, follow your favorite creators because mm-hmm. odds are they're all doing something. Um, you know, they're drawing or they're chatting with you or they're doing something. And um, like tonight on the, uh, the dog house, we're going to have a special guest, Steven Smurl, who was my co-founder for big dog Inc 10 years ago. Um, and he does a series of books called Island tales, which is Polynesian fairy tales and folklore turns into comics, um, which are super cool. So he's going to join me for about 20 minutes uh, on the doghouse tonight um, before we do our, our regular sale and Kickstarter prep. So, um, you know, all of these creators are doing something sometime somewhere, at least the artists are the writers a little harder because again, we can't exactly just, put words on the screen and have you follow it. Um, right. So, you know, that's not exactly exciting television, but the artists are doing stuff. So go, go watch and, and interact. Yep. And, you know, support, show them your love. Uh, yeah. That's, that's what we need to be doing in this time. Show love to each other, be kind, support each other. And, you know, hopefully we'll be through this soon and we'll all be able to hug soon. That's all. I just need some hugs, man. It's get, I'm getting lonely. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway. All right. Well, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Be safe. Uh, stay inside. And hopefully everybody stays well. 